White Ice uh, 2018, a year of questions and conversations on race with United Methodist clergy and laity focusing on the 50 years after merger and how it has affected African-American congregations and their communities. My name is Vincent Harris, your host for this podcast, and we will explore uh, over the year conversations on yesterday's perspective on race, today's context of race in uh, United Methodist churches, and also visions for tomorrow. We will have guests from all walks of life, and we uh, hope that you will be able to join us in these conversations. We are here today welcoming uh, my friend, uh, the love doctor, uh, Dr. Sharon Patterson, and we are uh, still talking about racism, the church's unfinished business, uh, one of the issues that we don't talk about a lot today in the church, but uh, here we are. Uh, really kind of trying to make sure that we uh, get the word out that we still have work to do uh, under this umbrella of racism. And, you know, I try to get the obvious question out first. Uh, you know, do you believe that racism still remains the most challenging issue for <clears throat> church and society today? The answer is, of course, and I want to back up to your initial statement, but we don't talk about it. We do talk about it a lot. Okay. At my church, Hamilton Park, we talk about it a lot. And back in September, we had a month of discussion on racial healing, how we can come together. We invited Anglo Anglo persons to come to the church and talk to us. I preached on it. So this topic stays front and center because in our society, Vincent, it's being torn to shreds right now over racism. From the schoolhouse to the courthouse, everywhere race is an issue, and it is painful. Yeah, it, it is, and I, I know this denomination has tried to work toward doing things better. Uh, over the last 50 years since merger, uh, if you were going to rate the United Methodist Church, the denomination's honest work toward race relations, between a 1 and a 10 on that scale, what would you give them? Comparing them to other denominations? Yeah, however you want to do it. I give them a nine and a half. Okay. They okay. have worked hard. Methodism has worked hard. I'm born and raised Methodist. Okay. And I know all the years of the commissions and the work and the conversation. Methodism has put its best foot forward to show the world how to do it. Our problem is relations, press relations. Okay. We don't know how to talk about what we do. Okay. We, we, we have been too silent. We put our head in the sand, and we should be advertising our good works. Okay, okay. And, and so if, if you were going to uh, do that advertising, because you, you have the communication background, mm-hmm. uh, how would you propose that we get that word out in a better way? Press releases, press conference, commercial, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, showing our good works. Now, we aren't perfect but compared to the other denominations, we are we are golden. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. So, so in this a- a- action of, of merger, do you think that it, it helped or hindered uh, the the potential for Black Methodists uh, and, and churches and leaders over over these years, these fifty years? Have we been helped, uh, or have we been hindered by by this merger? When you say the merger, you mean with the Central Conference? With the, the merger with yeah the, the United Methodist Church merger mm-hmm. in nineteen sixty eight. Uh, with uh, all, all those bodies coming together uh, since that time, you know, from the central jurisdiction to the United Methodist Church, since that time, has, has this merger helped or hindered our potential as congregations and leaders? 
Has it hindered black people? Or That's right. Oh. That's right. That's right. Well, on one hand, you could say it helped because we got more education and more um, integration into mainstream society and access to um, good development skills. The only downside is one that many black people like to uh, chew on and talk about is, well, we'll be better off in segregation. Okay. And okay. I, I don't have an answer for that. You don't have an answer for that. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I don't know. You, you didn't live in that? I didn't, praise okay. God. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think that we have, uh, you know, many people have different ideas about whether it helped. And some people say it helped and it hindered. Yeah. Uh, there, were, there were both there. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> in the meantime, though, as we had looked at these 50 years, most of our churches have declined or closing or closed. Over, the, over these last 50 years and after Wanker Churches, what do you think, uh, what do you propose that, that could really help turn the tide now as we look at this declining, closing, closed kind of environment, especially in the general churches there, but in particular in African-American churches? Well, let's, let's look at why some of those churches closed. One of our biggest flaws, Vincent, is that we refuse to be relevant. We think it's going to be attractive to bring in a new member and tell them all about your history. A new member does not care that Mother Jones started this church with a fish fry. Okay. They want to know, what are you doing now? Yeah. And we refuse to let go of tradition. Too many of our churches worship at the feet of tradition, and they wonder why they're dying. Yeah. Too many churches are... We, we become very middle class and um, ineffective and will not go out to our neighborhoods and get to know them and embrace them. We just a snooty bunch that will drive in on Sunday and drive out. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff we did to our, we, we slit our own throats. Okay, and, and that's one of the questions that I have. You know, what, what obstacles have we put in the way mm-hmm. that have prevented mm-hmm. us from moving for not only as a church but in relationship with other people? Oh, yeah. Been to... Um, too sadity to go out and talk to the gangbangers, the homeless, the poor. We have a very awful track record with low-income poor, poor folk. Okay. okay. Poor relationship. Okay. And, and do you think that's because we feel like we are, have arrived, that we have mm-hmm. become, you know, that, that whole middle-class, mm-hmm. uh, black kind of environment, and so where we came from, we, were, we don't want to be reminded. <laughs> exactly. You know, we don't want to go back there. <laughs> and we don't want those people in our churches. Okay. That kind of thing sh- can strangle a congregation. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many of them died. Don't want them in the church. And then another biggie is style of worship in the church. Okay. Style of worship in the church usually reflects what the loudest voices or the most uh, money givers mm-hmm. can put in. Those are usually older people. Mm-hmm. And they oftentimes want a very staid service mm-hmm. that appeals to them as they are 70, 80, and 90. Mm-hmm. That staid service appeals to them and no one else. Yeah. Yeah. So people in the neighborhood who might want to come in, they don't want that staid, stale, dry service. Sure. So, and, and, and I think one of the things now that we have to address is how worship uh, uh, is, 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 it turns off uh, other generations of folk. Mm-hmm. So we've got these you know, mm-hmm. millennials and the ones who have become behind the millennials and the ones that were before, these Gen X, Gen Y. So, so what do you think will help us to have more authentic relationships in order to, to, to gain some, you know, some, some, some at least uh, avenue toward this, this younger group of people who are in, in the world today but not in the church? We have an image problem. Um, I think in the 50s when you drove around and saw that cross and flame, that meant 
oh, that's a good church to go to. Now when you see it, they go, they go oh, we know not to go in there. Mm. When I had my first church, I was pastor of a church called Crestmore King. We were hiring a musician. The one they had was 90 and just about to fall asleep on the organ. So I said, let me hire somebody young. A young woman came in, 25-ish. I said, can you play a song for me? And she played the slowest, most dismal a song on the piano that made you want to just cry. It was so sad. And I said, why you play that? She said, that's the kind of music y'all like, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So okay. the word on the streets was they like it dry and dull. Okay. Okay. Wow. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that we, we, we pride ourselves on as United Methodists are, was being part of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Being part... Of, of people who were out in the community who were living up to this issue of social and racial justice and the energy from the civil rights movement seemed to actually catapult the church into a place where it had more respect and people really did say, oh, this is a place that's doing something not only for themselves but for others. What is that thing today that could help us kind of regain that energy of the movement time uh, at this point in history, is there anything that you can think of that we can, you know, work with in the context of the church and society that that really would kind of spark a, a different kind of look at the church? We need to return to our John Wesley roots, and he was somebody in the streets taking on current crises. Every black church can look in their community and see what the problem is, and then band together with other activists. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. For example, in Dallas, we already have a group called Faith Forward. They are um, clergy of all different groups who come and, and, and stage protest or will, or will, or will do um, some type of sit-in or walk-in or comment. Get involved with what's already going on rather than just sitting back. We are so comfortable. We just sit back. Yeah. Um, we, can't, we can't wait on We just We need to lead ourselves. Yes. My book is called Lead Yourself Now. Okay. Okay. And it's about propelling yourself to make a difference in the world now. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. We really do need to do that. Um, if, if you um, look at the, the climate in the general church today, we have a lot of issues that, that are being raised, one in particular on human sexuality. Uh, and, and I'm thinking that, you know, the black church doesn't seem to have a lot of engagement in this conversation. Uh, should we, does this conversation on human sexuality impact the black church at all? The black church has um, put its head in the sand on this topic. Um, Homosexuality has been in our midst from the beginning, but we have suppressed it or tried to ignore it or downplay it. I think a conversation would help us um, to just talk about the elephant in the room, and I think it would I think we need to do a wholehearted embrace of the LGBTQ community because they are they are us. <laughs> they are us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The, uh, the, the, the the BMCR, uh, I guess, plan or proposals or objectives now, but do you believe that uh, from what our inception was, and we were, we were called people who were the gadfly. Mm-hmm. We were the agitators. That's right. Uh, have we lost that? Have we somehow uh, just decided to, <clears throat> to be silent on some of these issues? The word gadfly does not describe us. 
We are very silent, stationary insects. If we're going to be an insect, we're not bothering anybody. <laughs> we're an insect over there enjoying some good food quietly, hoping nobody will even call our name. We have got to get back to agitating, to standing up, to making a difference, to being fearless. That will bring people to our churches, and that will make us relevant again. We are irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, we're irrelevant for uh, a number of reasons uh, inside mm -hmm. with one another mm -hmm. and for other reasons on the outside. Correct. Where we're people that are uh, God's people. Yes. Uh, the, the whole uh, uh, development of their lives spiritually, economically, physically uh, really is dependent on a, a, a really strong church because the community benefits mm -hmm. from the resources right. that, that, that are there. So I think that's something that we have to look at as well. I, I don't know if there are any other questions that I can ask you. I just want to know if there's some things that, that you would like to offer in this conversation uh, that I didn't uh, ask, but uh, kind of sum up you know, how you feel about this issue of racism and the church's unfinished business. Um, regarding racism, I, I, I want the church to continue to have difficult conversations. I want us to not be afraid to use the R word, racism. I don't want people to accuse us of, if you say racism, then that means you are um, using the race card. I want to be able to talk about things and put them on the table. I serve on the board of trustees of a predominantly white school in Dallas, and it's real important for me to keep the issues and concerns of the students of color on the table. And, and sometimes those, those, those issues get pushed to the side. And once they got pushed to the side, they saw an eruption of the students demanding attention. Okay. Yet and still, I have been telling the president of the school for years, let's deal with this, let's deal with this, and he chose not to. Mm -hmm. So UMC has to just deal with some things. Yeah. Yeah. Deal with it. Well, I am. I'm grateful for your time and for the conversation, uh, and, and happy to see you after a long time. And hopefully, at some point in time, I'll get you to come back and we'll talk about some other things. Well, Vincent, I'm very proud of what you're doing here. Keep it up. Thank you.